Hear the word of the Lord. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle and patient. Be bearing, be bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it, apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Our God, we give you thanks for gathering us here together in this place. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. We ask that you would open up our hearts and minds, that you would speak today, that we would hear your word and also do it through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. A couple of years ago, I was working a fall retreat at a church camp. And because of some poor communication on my part, um, this came right at the end of my third week straight without a single day off. I was more than tired. It wasn't just my body that was tired. My spirit, my soul was just bone dry. I felt guilty that I didn't have more to offer these kids, that I didn't have more to offer God. But the truth was that I couldn't have wanted to be there less. I was really struggling to feel God's presence. I was impatient and cranky, and these kids were acting like fools. And I feel like I need to, I need to just tell you that I was not reminded of the story by the events at day camp. I was, you know, our kids were great. They were wonderful. I would absolutely do day camp all over again, maybe after like a couple gallons of aloe and maybe a couple nights sleep. Um, I'd be ready to go. <laughs> And so on this retreat, we got to the very last night, and someone was leading worship while I was standing at the back. Um, and I remember the worship leader, she paused before she sang the last song. And she said, you know, sometimes when we sing, we offer our praise up to God. We give him thanks and we glorify his name. And then sometimes, every once in a while, it's good to sing to each other to remind one another of the faithfulness and the promises of God, and to hold up our collective faith when some of our members are struggling. And then we sang this last song, and I felt in me a desire to do that, to declare the goodness of God to these children. And I tried, but I just didn't have anything left in me. And then I felt this nudging of the Holy Spirit, and I think that he was telling me that it was okay. That I could just rest into that moment and let the sound of these children, these wonderful, deeply frustrating children, singing the promises of God just wash over me. 
that the faith of that community could shore me up, and that would be enough. This morning, I want to talk about community as it's presented in our text that Brian read for us, specifically the unity that we have within our community of faith, calm unity. For those of you wondering about our church sign out front, that was, that was all Chad. I can't take um, credit for the sermon title this morning. But so Paul urges his readers to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And notice how Paul doesn't say, make every effort to become unified. He says, make every effort to keep the unity as in it's something that they already have. Like, okay, you're all one, great job, keep up the good work. Now, we might have reason to wonder why Paul says that they are already one based on A, what we know about Paul's audience, right? These Gentiles, um, their status as Gentiles being grafted into God's promises for the Israelites. And I know that y'all know this because at this point, I think between me and Chad, we have um, beat it into all of our heads lovingly. (laughs) And so we can just imagine the conflicts and the disagreements that they must have had as the Jews and the Gentiles were trying to integrate, were trying to learn how to live life with one another. And B, because we know people. Literally, because we know people, we interact and we work with and we live with and worship with people who are imperfect and broken and have all these different quirks and weird habits and different opinions and sometimes just drive each other crazy. So it's not hard for us to imagine Paul's readers, real people who dealt with conflicts just like we do hearing this command to keep the unity, and thinking, um, excuse me, what, what unity are we talking about here? Didn't you hear what Billy Bob said about Susie Jane last week? Like, we are not all one. We are not just sitting around the campfire singing Kumbaya 24-7, or ever, really. We have real conflict. How is it that we are supposed to keep a unity that oftentimes it looks like we don't even have. But one of the truths that we find in this passage, it's that the source of our unity is not based on our experience within that community. It is based only on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Earlier in chapter 2, Paul writes, But now in Christ, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. Christ has drawn us into himself as one people, and despite all of our differences in Christ, we are all one. And not just all of us here in this room this morning, but all those who trust in and follow Jesus. Paul writes that there is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one hope, one baptism, which means Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, Black, Asian, Hispanic. We are one. We have been made one people by Christ and in Christ whose blood binds us together. 
Friends, this is the gospel. This is nothing less than the good news of God's action on our behalf that he purposed before time for all to be made one and brought into life with God together in Christ. And now in response to God's action, we're given this command. Keep the unity. Make every effort to keep the unity. I've given you this incredible gift. Don't waste it. Don't throw it away. Don't let anything come between you or divide you. Overcome every cultural, denominational, political, socioeconomic difference to keep this unity that Christ has bought for you. And I think one of the questions that we have to ask in light of this passage before we ask the how do we do that question, is to ask the why question. Why be united? What would be so wrong with us just all having our individual faith in Jesus for salvation, believing and trusting in him, and then going to heaven when we die? What is so important about us being unified? I'd suggest to you that one reason that our unity is so important is because it's a picture of God's unity, right? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit, Yahweh. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And if we are to be like God, then we also have to be one. And another reason is that our unity is bigger and more than just us getting along with one another. But it's not less than that, right? We're not off the hook. We do all um, need to get along. It's not less than that, but it is more than that. Verse 4 says, You were called into one hope at your calling. And what does Paul mean by that, that, that we're called into one hope? I feel like this is one of those... Um, Verses that it sounds like we know what it means, but if we are forced to articulate it, then we come to find out that maybe we really don't know what this hope is that we're called into. I mean, does that mean just for us to, you know, have wishful thinking? What Paul's talking about here is the hope of Christ. Not just that when we die, we go to heaven, but that in the fullness of time, God will sum up all things in Christ things in heaven and things on earth, all things will be made one in him. And this hope, it's not just something that is individual, but it's, it's or private, it's um, corporate and public. It's a hope for the cosmos that is unified and reconciled, a world in which everything is brought together in harmony. And the church is calling to that hope, is a call to participate in it, in the here and now, even as we wait for the fullness of its expression in time. And this hope that we have, it, it sounds so good and beautiful that sometimes it's, it's tempting to get caught up in this picture of what is coming, right? But if what we accomplish today is just to paint a pretty picture of what's ahead, only for us all to leave here, and look around at our actual community and feel discouraged or discontent with our community, then we've actually taken steps in the wrong direction. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer in one of the most well-known books on community called Life Together, appropriately. He writes that every human wish that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine Christian community is to survive. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. Bonhoeffer says that when we have this idealistic picture of what we want our community to look like, what we think it should look like, that that actually prevents us in some way from living in actual community with one another. Because when these broken people we do life with don't measure up to the picture we've built up of them in our heads, we end up accusing them, either out loud or even just in our own thoughts, for not being what we think that they should be. And ultimately, we end up accusing God for not giving us the community that we think that we should have. Friends, it is easy to love the idea of people. It's a lot harder to actually just love real people. And that's why Paul, in these verses, he gives us tools. He, he points us in the direction of the kind of character that's required to do this hard work of living in community. In verse 2, he, he offers us a list, um, urging readers to live worthy of their calling with humility with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And these virtues, they have a, a communal orientation, right? Patience with one another, gentleness toward one another, bearing with one another in love, making allowances for others' shortcomings. These are all characteristics that aren't just necessary for the Christian life, but they're necessary for Christian life in community. And they can only be displayed and sharpened in the context of community. I often um, get tickled and I have to laugh at myself um, because anytime I start thinking that I'm getting good at any of these things, you know, if I start thinking, oh, I was pretty humble today, then that's a pretty good indication that I'm not doing a great job at them. <laughs> or like, if I feel like I'm being really good and patient when I'm sitting in my room by myself, you know, away from actual people. <laughs> but when I haven't eaten in several hours or I'm just grumpy and I'm actually around other people, it's a whole different story, right? Because these virtues, they're both tested and practiced and made more evident, or less evident in my case, in the context of community. And most importantly, we can only display these virtues because of Christ's work, his grace in us. Verses 7 and 8 say, Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive. He gave gifts to people. Through Christ, we have the grace to grow in Christ's likeness. He has given us everything that we need 
in order to live, live deeply formed lives of godly character. Even knowing this, though, if you're anything like me, then maybe still in the back of your head, you keep going back to Paul's insistence to live worthy of the call. Maybe you hold up your life to this picture that we're given in Scripture and, and you feel like your life doesn't quite make the cut. It's often hard for me to shake the feeling that I'm not doing enough to please God or to somehow earn his affection. So if that's you as well, I want to point us to something about the structure of Ephesians that has really just struck me to the core. Um, I found it really fascinating and really helpful, so hopefully it can be both of those things for you as well, or at least one or the other. So um, Ephesians, it's organized into six different chapters, not by Paul, of course, but editors later have come in and added chapters for us, which is helpful. And if we divided Ephesians straight down the middle, we'd notice that both halves of the letter seem to be doing their own sort of thing. The first three chapters are all oriented around the God-given identity of Paul's readers. And then right here at the beginning of chapter 4, there's a turn, a shift, and the last three chapters are all about character and the specific ways that we live as followers of Jesus. These are things like living in unity, and Chad's going to um, preach on all of these in the coming weeks, so if you don't want a spoiler, cover your ears, or if you haven't read ahead. <laughs> but we'll get instructions for wives and husbands, children and parents, masters and slaves, and he'll talk about putting on the armor of God, like our kids learned in BBS a few weeks ago. So it's all of these instructions. The first half is character, who they are in Christ, and the second half is instructions. And what I find just so incredibly beautiful about this is that Paul roots his, his audience and their identity in Christ way before he ever gives them a single command. Whether it's intentional or not, for three whole chapters, Paul emphasizes over and over and over again who they are in Jesus. Because of Christ's work on their behalf, they are called faithful saints, sons and daughters, the redeemed of God, forgiven, God's handiwork, fellow citizens, heirs of the promise, members of God's household, co-heirs with Christ, partners in the promises in Christ Jesus, God's own people who are so loved beyond measure or comprehension, indescribably holy, completely loved. Friends, this is the root and the source of all that we do. We obey God's commands, yes, empowered by the Holy Spirit to make every effort to live worthy of our calling and to keep this unity of the Spirit. And we do this hard work of unity that God has called us to do. And it is really, really hard work sometimes. But it comes not out of duty or some Southern work ethic or um, workspace righteousness, it comes out of the overflow of who God has already claimed us to be and made us to be and given us the grace to continue to walk in, to live worthy of our calling. 
our call to unity through the blood of Christ, to participate in the sure hope of Christ as he works to bring the entire cosmos into harmony, to live with humility and gentleness and patience, forgiving and loving one another and giving thanks even for our imperfect body of believers, and holding our faith together, holding one another up for the days that one person or another might be struggling, to remind each other again and again about the goodness and the faithfulness of our God. One of my favorite authors, um, her name is Tish Harrison Warren, she writes in her book, Liturgy of the Ordinary, that we work out our faith with these other broken men and women around us in the pews. It's lackluster. It can be boring or taxing. It's often messy. It's sometimes painful. But these Christians around me become each other's call and response. We remind each other of good news. May it be so for us, church. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. As we respond to the word that we've heard today, we just said first about singing. Amen. You may be seated.
I ask you now as we respond to God's Word and acknowledge God's work that is currently happening in our midst, giving us unity, giving us faith, making us who we are, where have you seen the light of Christ this week? Where have you seen God at work? Vicki? Picking butter beans in the rain yesterday. Amen. The light of Christ. Thanks be to God. Lexi? Amen. Having Kayla here this uh, next Sunday is her last Sunday here with us, um, so uh, we, we will miss her deeply, um, but she has been an incredible asset to our ministries this summer. Amen. The light of Christ. Thanks be to God. Day camp. Did you have fun at day camp? Amen. For all of the folks who served at day camp, for our kids and the joy and energy that they brought for the opportunity to be outside um, and uh, to talk about Jesus together and have shaving cream wars and all of the things that happened, we give thanks. The light of Christ. Thanks be to God. Lafice. For Kayla's sermon today, amen. The light of Christ. Thanks be to God. Alexander. For everybody who's here, somebody was listening to this sermon, amen. The light of Christ. Amen. Anything else today, Miss Margaret? Yes, ma'am, having Kayla's family here as well, the light of Christ. Thanks be to God. And how can we be praying for one another this week? What would you like to lift up in prayer? I'm going to look at the choir first today. For Nikki Schwartz, uh, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Brian? Yes, for the family of Miss Trimble, Debbie Trimble. For Olivia, as we continue to pray for her, and for John and Martha Killebrew, we pray. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Amen. Anything else you're praying for this? Lafice? The family of Barry Greenley, uh, we pray. For Lane's brother. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Amen. Anything else? Let's go to the Lord together. Oh, I'm sorry, Lou. Say that one more time. For Claire Gaines, we pray. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Let's go to the Lord together now in prayer. Eternal triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do praise you that you are at work in our world and in the church and in this congregation we give you thanks that your grace is at work in us, making us patient, making it possible for us to bear together with one another in love. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would give us what we need to maintain the unity that you have blessed us with. We give you thanks, Lord, for the opportunity to laugh and play and to get exhausted outside at day camp. We give you thanks for the gift of your word proclaimed to us by your servant, Caleb. We give you thanks for all of the ways that we see you at work around us. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you would continue to open us to your grace. That you would make us aware of the things that you are doing in our world so that we can give you thanks and praise you for it. And you know, O oh Lord, of our every need. And we ask that you would intercede in every way in accordance with your will to heal those who are sick, to comfort those who are grieving, to give peace to those who are restless, to bring relationship to those who are lonely, 
to provide for the material needs of those who are thirsty or hungry or in need of adequate clothing or shelter. And we ask, O Lord, that You would mobilize us as Your church and mission to take the good news of Your Gospel that cares for entire people, for their sin and the brokenness in their lives, for their bodily needs, for their mental needs, O Lord, and for their need for community and holy love. We pray, O Lord, that You would bless our ministries. We pray that You would guide our leaders. We ask, O Lord, that we as a church might be a light to our community and to the whole world that reflects the light of Christ at work in us. We pray that you would give us a hunger to grow as your disciples. We would make it a priority to abide in the means of grace. That we, O Lord, could be constantly growing closer to you and ever more enamored and captivated by your beauty. We pray, O Lord, that we as your people might know who we are according to your love and might invite others to be as we are, incorporated into your family by your grace. We pray this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and we, we pray using the words that he taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I skipped our preparation for prayer, but we can sing it now if that's all right. It's number 2226 in The Faith We Sing. Let's stand as we sing together and then we'll say our profession of faith together.
Amen. If you'll join me on page 881 of your hymnal, we'll join together in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was. Amen. You may be seated as the ushers come forward now to receive our offering.
Amen. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we give you thanks for all of the ways that you have blessed us. We give you thanks for the gift of your word and for your light that shines throughout the world. We give you thanks for a community of faith that with them we can travel the road and find our way, that we are not left our, our, onto our own devices to follow after you. But you have given us a community that we can walk with as we seek your face. For all of these things and more, we give you thanks as we seek to praise you today. Amen. As we prepare to go forth from this place, I want to invite you uh, to once again commit your lives, or for the first time, to Christ, to join together with this community of faith as we seek to live imperfectly as we are uh, in the light of Christ together, um, and to invite you uh, to find ways to continue to grow as a disciple of Jesus. You're welcome to join us tonight uh, in our Sunday evening study on Wednesday nights uh, as we talk further about the text that we have uh, preached from uh, on Sunday mornings. Uh, or Sunday school, or any of the other ways that we have opportunities to grow. Maybe summertime isn't the best time for you to do that, but during the school year, we'll be kicking off Amazing Wednesdays in just about a month, uh, and maybe that'll be a time for you to jump in with us and continue to grow. We hope that you'll find a place where you can grow with one another as we seek God. Closing him today is number 140, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
As you go, go in the peace of Christ that binds us together. And in the knowledge, the full knowledge of the gospel, that by the Holy Spirit you may be empowered to live worthy of the calling to which we've been called to the praise of God, the Father Almighty. Go in peace. Amen. Thank you.